After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hey everyone, this is Mind Rolling with Raghu Marcus, that is I, and my new best friend, Jake Sasseville. And Jake, fortunately for him, lives on the island of Maui. And we haven't met, but uh, I, Jake has a wonderful uh, podcast. And where do you find it, Jake? Welcome, Jake. Thank you very much. It's funny you go into trance when you start your show, Ragu Marcus. I just kind of went. I kind of went down into trance for a second as you started. Uh, you can find the podcast at jakeradio.org, and it's on all the platforms: SoundCloud, Audio right. Boom, iTunes, and Stitcher. Oh, wonderful and uh, fun, fun, and uh, a lot of it centers around his own quest for the spiritual. Uh, path on the spiritual path, which Jake is, and uh, I just loved that podcast that I did with you. It was about a week or two ago. It was a week or two ago, and uh, you know, you say new best friend, and people throw around the word friend a lot, but I do feel a uh, kinship towards you. Yeah, it's no, really... no, it's not bullshitting. I mean it. Well, I'm... I wasn't saying you were. I'm just saying that a lot of people do, but I really the feeling is mutual. Good. Absolutely. It's because uh, we're both from Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> that must be it. No, my family, it was all about, go, you know. Yeah, exactly. Right um, so one of the things, before we get into this a little bit, um, I just, uh, I, I want to encourage, what I do a lot is uh, encourage people to support MindPod Network by going to Amazon and buying stuff, and we get, you know, we get a little percentage of all that, and it helps support, but I have more fun recommending things that you know maybe people haven't heard of so i'm using you as a um an example here of maybe you have not heard of a couple of these things that i'm going to mention now some of them you're very good at building suspense because i have no clue what you're talking about right now (laughs) yeah i know neither do i it's okay Uh, but well there's one thing i don't know did you see the grammys the other night I saw bits and pieces of it. Yeah, me too. The one thing that was so powerful, and you yeah. know, I come out of the music business, so I am a little bit askew on some of the stuff that I see on the Grammys. Kendrick, how did you know that? Well, because it's what everybody's talking about, but it really, I knew that it sat with me. It really struck, it actually shocked me. I had to watch it a couple times. Yeah, yeah me too. It was so powerful. Uh, so I just wanted to recommend wh- whoever hasn't gotten his record, 
uh, go up to Amazon to pimp a butterfly, Kendrick Lamar. Uh, you know, everybody and his mother already knows Kendrick. So I'm not introducing you to this. I'm just saying, wow, that was something else. Some people may not know Kendrick. And I mean, that is really powerful that you're bringing that to your audience because it is. It was the album is amazing. And I think that, you know, we're coming to an apex, an apex yeah, with regard to civil rights, civil equalities, gay marriage, obviously, in the past few years. But the apex of Black Lives Matter and culture and consciousness you know, it's sort of ironically, it's what we aim for on the Jake Sasseville show, this intersection of culture and consciousness. Mm. But it's really coming in the, in the in the media in mass media right now, too. Things are really coming up to a very decisive point in politics, in music, in civil rights and civil liberties. It's a, it's a really interesting time to be alive and yeah. to be seeing this the way that it is. You know, Kendrick does his thing. Beyonce does her thing at the Super Bowl. People are up in arms. And what's interesting is that it's so acute, Ragu, in terms of like, you know, someone goes on the next day talking about Beyonce and then that goes viral because they talk about how Black Panthers was. I don't want to play Beyonce supporting Black Panthers, which was a terrorist organization. And you're sitting there like, what? (laughs) Black Panthers were there to police the police. You know, they weren't, you know, taking up arms to, to create terrorism. It was... Anyway, so I don't know enough about it to really get that deep into it, but I do think that there's this interesting point where people's – it's always interesting when you get into a fight or flight. And I think in many ways society is in a fight or flight right now. Mm-hmm. You may not realize it because things are pretty calm, at least yeah. for my life, but just looking at it, you've been around for longer than I have. Uh, I, that, in that fight or flight, you get to see people's real colors, yeah, yeah, and it's remarkable to see what's coming out. Yeah, and that's our instinct, flight or fight. And that is a lot about what the spiritual path is about, is to remove that habitual pattern that we do have. All right, now I want to get into something. Now, do you know, this is my big example of, I'm I'm going to find out here, because this isn't that esoteric. Do you know who Jaco Pastorius is? No. I got it. (laughs) Okay. The greatest bass player who ever lived. Okay? okay, he played with Weather Report and some of these incredible bands, uh, Joe Zawinul. And um, there is a documentary on him. You guys got to go up and find it. Um, it's got Super Eight stuff from the eighties, seventies, and eighties with him with these amazing players. But even if you don't go and look, so Jaco, J-A-C-O, Pastorius, P-A-S-T-O-R-I-U-S. He recorded his first album in 75, and he played on, on an album with Joni Mitchell, who is one oh. of my all-time oh. favorites. I and, wrote my entire book to both sides now on oh, you're repeat kidding. with Joni Mitchell, yeah. Really? On repeat, literally in repeat, just over and over, and it just put me into... The space. Well, depending on which record it was, he played all through one of her. It was one of her more jazzy kind of records that probably happened in the 80s, I think. Oh, uh, uh, okay. Yeah, you got to check it out. But this is just beyond anything, the way that this guy played. And I was a big mm. jazz fan. I'm an all music fan. I'm not particularly in one thing or another. But I just was blown away by him. And you guys out mm. there, check him out. Jacko Pastorius. 
And now the next thing on my list of recommendations for you all. <laughs> you crack me up, is, uh, Well, I'm into wallets, okay? Oh, you like, you like a good firm wallet. Yeah. Well, I like a wallet that I can put in the front of my jeans or whatever pants I'm wearing. I because see. when you put it in your back pocket, it throws your hip out of alignment and you end up being crippled and needing a hip replacement. When you Thank you. Thank you for telling me. Yeah. So do that now, Jake. And the, this is the best wallet for it. It's called the Rogue Wallet. Are they paying you to say that? Absolutely. They don't know me from Adam. And uh, it's. <laughs> I should get on to them and say, hey, this isn't. I'm doing ads for you guys. No. But I'm, what is the rogue wallet, though? It's, it's small enough to fit in your front pocket. Yeah, but it, I'm going to show you a picture of it. You see the curve? See? Oh, look at the curve. The curve. It's got a curve that immediately. It'll. You want to see it again? Show me the curve. Look at the curve. It's a curve. The Rogue Wallet. I, and I love the way... The Rogue Wallet. Okay. Well, you're going rogue when you buy the Rogue Wallet. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. There's a couple of crazy-ass things for uh, Amazon and uh, however else you want to help support what we're doing out here. Uh, Jake is going to help, by the way. Jake, is gonna, is, uh, Jake has been doing podcasts for quite some time. And uh, Jake has been in television. Jake has done a lot of things in his young life. And uh, so he's going to become uh, an advisor. I'm, I'm thinking out loud right now. Well, I love that you're announcing this to me on <laughs> as we're taping this show. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this is what Mark, yeah. this is what Ragu does. He says, hey, you want to come on my show? And then he starts saying stuff. And then you're like, um, yeah. um, okay. <laughs> all right. I want to talk about something with you. Well, first of all, I want to talk about you. Yeah. Just give me a little, you know, every uh, guest that I have on the show, that we've had on the show. Don't tell me to tell you about myself. Well, an abridged don't version, it, okay? I don't know where to start. Where do I start? I just want to hear about what are the things that uh, really I call the transformers. That tra that get your first wake-up call, oh shit, there is something else. Not just my senses and my mind and my ego and my identification with my roles, my parents, my family, blah, blah. Where is that moment, that trip, that just tripped you into, oh, shit, there's something else, and I'm going to pursue that something else? Just give me that moment or it's time. a good it's a really powerful question if you really think about it, because I had to actually go through the timeline and with because I didn't want to give you a bullshit answer. So I had to go through the timeline. We're allowed to swear on your podcast, right, Ragu? I think so, yeah. Okay. Uh, through the timeline. And the thing that keeps coming up, although I'm sure there were moments of it before, certainly going to Catholic church set for all and Catholic school sets you up for a hell of a come to Jesus moment later on in life. So I would say that that was, that was the setup. Um, you know, and it goes back to, and I've told this story before, and I realized that I'm not my story, but this was, this was a moment. It was the diagnosis of, and then two years later, the death of my brother. Oh. Uh, he was diagnosed in uh, 2001. Uh, he was 13. Mm. No, no, he was 11. And I was 14. I remember the day very well. It's amazing how acutely I remember it. Um, I was at my friend's 
Max's house, and, and I could hear something was different. Uh, I didn't know what it was, and the next day I went to the hospital, and uh, my brother was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia, and uh, uh, you know, obviously a form of childhood cancer, and that that didn't wake me up in terms of oh, there's there's a god or or oh, this there's more than just me here. That didn't wake me up, but it was another it was another setup for the wake up. It was a setup for the wake up. Um. Two years later, uh, after he had had a bone marrow transplant, had been cured, had relapsed at the age of 13, watching him die in my parents' arms, slowly drifting away, changed me. And not just the act of my brother dying, but that 24 hours, Raghu, before he died, the you know, the notification by the oncologist that he was going to die, the gathering of my family. My mother got remarried in the room, in the hospital room, three hours before he died because she had tried to get married to her now husband two years before, but every time he was, Alex was either diagnosed or re-diagnosed. So my mom getting married at 325 East Coast time on June 26th, and at 525, 525, two hours later, my brother, who had been unconscious for 24 hours before, uh, all of a sudden came up, like opened his eyes wide and started saying, one, two, three, go, ready, jump. One, two, three, go, ready, jump. Over and over and over again to then his final breaths in that final hour you know, going from 60 breaths uh, or, or, or whatever it was, 40 breaths a minute to 30 to 20 to 10 to then two to then one when he would just deep inhale and out. And watching this, as my parents lie on either side, the two parents that brought him into the world now watching him go out and, and walking him through that in the most surreal environment you could imagine, That day is when I realized this may very well be a short life experience and I better start asking some damn good questions because shit just got real, real fast. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That would do it. That is, uh, Jesus, God. I did it. 14 years old, right? Anyhow, that's quite a story, Jake. Changed everything. uh, Yeah, and I I would imagine that your life was never the same after that. There's just no way it could be. Never the same, but didn't realize that it would never be the same. You know, you don't, I didn't know what I didn't know. I just knew that this was very strange, you know, at 17. And I think that if I, if I would say, Ragu, that I did know anything or that I understood what was happening, I think I'd be, I think I'd be making it up because I don't think that I actually knew the long-term ramifications, unconscious, you know, right. ramifications of this. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. Oh. And then uh, at some point, of course, you did proceed to find ways to move along on the path to get a more balanced life or however which way you want to put no, it. No, I didn't. I actually, so each one of us actually dealt with it very differently. My mother dealt with it um, with certain substances and and sort of detaching from the world. And, 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 I, and I don't want to frame that or suggest that 
um, anything is right or wrong with that. I'm just saying what I observed from my own experience. Mm. My dad became very, my dad already had Parkinson's disease. Mm. So that was already tricky for him. So he became very nostalgic. Everything became very important. Mm. And me, I just threw myself into work. At that point, I was a touring magician around the country. I started doing more shows. I went into complete denial. My family thought I was just up. They thought it was just crazy because I wasn't crying at the funeral. Why aren't you crying? They said. I was numb and I made sure to numb myself more with work. And that was really the next year and a half of my life, just numbing myself. You know, I had taken my show, my TV show. It was a talk show on local access TV. I had taken it regionally in that year. I had booked a big interview with the cast of Will and Grace. Now it's like, oh, whatever, the cast of Will and Grace. But back then they were the hottest show on television. And I was 17 and a kid in the middle of Maine. So it was like this huge jump in the 12 months after. And I see, you know, we have a desire not to feel pain oftentimes. And when we don't, and I didn't have the tools. I didn't have tools, Raghu. I didn't have Ram Dass's work. I didn't have a 12-step program. Didn't have the tools. Right. So I just did the best that I could, which is what we're all doing. And I just, you know, developed some really good addictions. <laughs> and? Anything, anything not to feel the pain. Yeah. But obviously something happened at some point. To get you where you are today, which is a substantial uh, sadhak, they would call it in India, somebody who is really following the path and is interested in um, changing their heart so they can be an assistance of other people's for their hearts to change. That's mm -hmm. what I get from you. Yeah, it's interesting. When you said that, the visual that I had is I kept building bigger and bigger walls. The first one was like the work wall and then the success wall. And then when I would fail and then have to come back even stronger than before, I put myself into a quarter of a million dollars worth of debt by the age of 21 mm. after my first show failed on ABC. So then what I did was is I didn't fall back from that because I'm a survivor, right? I'm a survivor. I was living for two. These were the belief systems that I had created for myself. So I would come back and I'd build a bigger wall where I'd build a bigger company and a bigger show with longer syndication deals, in this case on Fox and CW. And then that went ass up and then I would build a bigger wall and move to a different city, Chicago, where I started to now work with the Chicago Tribune. Meanwhile, I was not dealing with any root issues. I just kept building bigger and bigger walls to secure me, to secure the palace of Jake, the city of Sass, <laughs> to secure it from actually feeling any of the pain. And then finally, thank God, and, and keep in mind, developed a very healthy spiritual ego at this point, <laughs> you know, because I was this spiritual guy and I was this guy that people saw as successful, the youngest host ever in late night TV. I had identified with all of it. Mm. I had identified with all of it. If I had money, I identified with it. If I was flying private, I was identifying with it. If I was bankrupt and sleeping on a beanbag for 13 months, I was identifying with it. Mm. I mean, it nearly kills a person, Ragu Marcus. <laughs> I mean, really, it really, and this is all before the age of 25. Right. It, it can kill a person. So, and it could have, it could have. Um, and when I was 27, that's when things really just, finally I hit, well, I say finally, who knows where the bottom really is, but I hit a pretty tremendous bottom. Lost everything I thought was important. 
and then went on the soul searching. And luckily, from like 18 to 27, had developed some really incredible relationships with spiritual folks and people who were writing on these subject matters. So it was not all for naught. Mm -hmm. It was all part of the journey. And realizing that it is a flow, it is a flow, it is not a destination, you start to realize, and that's when I really started to realize, I'm like, oh, that's why, you know, my friend Susie in London, who's an incredible author, and that's why she was in my life 2021. Mm -hmm. Because even for just, we've since reconnected, because obviously when you hit rock bottom, you tend to get disconnected from people, um, either by choice or by chance. And so when I, in my later 20s, early 30s, I now realize that the role that Susie played for me, for example, being a tremendous mentor during a very chaotic time, is now the role I can play to people who don't quite, and I don't need to judge it, I can just be there. So all these things start to make sense in some weird, random way. Mm, mm. Am, I, am I talking too much in between no. each question? No, I'm loving it. I'm I want to make sure to serve. Love, remember, serve. Yeah. Love, serve, remember. Love, serve, uh, remember. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm going to tell I'm going to uh, just, I, I told you uh, that I came across this thing from Ram Dass and I thought it would be, it, it's a perfect, perfect juxtaposition from your story right here. Divinely inspired. Every moment of your life, once you understand the purpose of it, is your vehicle for awaken, uh, awakening. This moment is your vehicle for awakening. It is said in the spiritual mystic literature, one to me is loss and gain. One to me is fame and shame. One to me is pleasure and pain. Meaning, ah, there's fame. Hello, Ram Das. That's fame. Ram who? Das, did you say? Oh, you're that horrible guy that was... That's shame. Oh, you just won the lottery. That's gain. Wallet just stolen? Loss. Pleasure? Oh, my darling, come here. Ouch, my leg hurts. And each one, they take you completely, and you get lost in it. I'm somebody who has a hurt leg versus here I am, and there's a leg that hurts. The, predict, the predicament is that most of us don't want this kind of consciousness because we don't want to lose the rush of the trips of life, the rushes. We don't want to forego the romanticism that so hits me right in the center, Jake. We don't want to forego. Uh, 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 sorry, we uh, we don't want to forego the rush that comes from identifying with our own melodrama, and that kind of equanimity, that kind of quietness, that kind of spaciousness, that kind of presence. That kind of compassion for oneself and for all things, because from a quiet, clear place, you can see how it all is without pushing or pulling. For it is only the non-attached mind that can truly appreciate how it is. Otherwise, you're just seeing the projections of your own desires. Your story just is uh, emblematic of, of Ram Dass's well, thing. And to go back to something that you said is when was the moment that you started to realize you were not here alone or that there was something else? And 
you know, now my life is filled with moments just like this, where there is no coincidence. I did not know you were going to read that. And you did not know the story that I was going to kick off with. And the synchronicity of that is no coincidence. And so now life, when your eyes are a little wider opened, become a series of confirmations just like what just happened. Yeah. And and that's when you start to take life in that way. Also, as grist, as Ramdas says, grist for the mill. So everything that happens is just absolutely perfectly designed for you or for us to become free. And once you start looking at life that way, then you start to have an opportunity to really make every moment a present, completely be here now moment. And that's mm-hmm. that's probably the f- one of the first things when everybody asks me, okay, what's what's the first things I got to do to start getting a little bit balanced, to start getting a little bit happier, to start being able to be um, more compassionate, loving being, is to, is to find that way to get into the moment and see everything is just... Now, that's not easy. The qu- the question is telling, though, isn't it? When people come up to you and say, well, what what's the first thing that I have to do? It's like they think that there's anything to do. Yeah, but there is some... You know, this is a good point right here. Glad you brought that up. Because when you live in that... And I have something else beautiful for us to talk about in a minute. But when you live in that place where you understand, maybe it's through a psychedelic trip where you see the connectivity of absolutely everything and you see the perfection of everything and you see how, as you say, every there's no coincidence. It's all perfectly designed, that moment. You didn't know that I was going to, uh, you know, uh, tell this little Ramdas thing and I didn't know your story. And it's all perfectly designed. So, shit, you, just, you don't have to do shit. You just got to really hang in there. Wrong you, don't, you, you think Absolutely. it's wrong? Because all right, well, this goes to a much larger question around free will and action. Uh, and uh, this is something, and I'll tell you this little story. We were in India. This is me. And, uh, when Ramdas went back the second time, I went back. You, you, know, you know a little bit of that story. Krishnadas was there as well and other people that you might have heard of. And we were at somebody's house, and Ramdas says to Neem Karoli Baba, "Are karma and grace the same?" So what? What that? It's what we're talking about. In other words, if I understand that it's all perfectly within the law, and and so there's nothing. It's absolutely just the grace of the one, of the guru, of whatever you want to call that thing, is perfectly aligned with my life so that everything that happens is as a result of that alignment with grace? Or is there action to take on a day-to-day basis? You know what he said? What did he say? I can't talk about this in public, Maharaji said. Okay. Really? Ramdas came back and he said, I I can't imagine that it's not all coming from one place that karma, action and grace, the fact that we are all part of something that is completely beyond what we think is free will. I can't believe they're not one thing, right? 
So he's sitting there, thinking this stuff out loud to a few of us. Suddenly, Maharaji sends a message back to Ramdas that says, Tell Ramdas he and I understand each other quite well, very well. And Ramdas started to think, What in the shit does that mean? <laughs> and later, much later, so he his surmisal of it was we cannot understand the perfection, grace, or you might call it the perfection that everything is completely, absolutely um, in harmony with the universal one, with the Dharma, with the law. And everything that we do is just the result of actions and so on and so forth is all perfectly designed. We cannot, that is not something we can understand in a rational way. That's what he thought. Much later, fast forward to maybe five years ago, I had this question in my mind, and there's a, a woman saint who Maharaji left. It's our Indian mother. She's, she's still alive. Her name is Siddhima, and she's up in the Himalayas. And I go there every year to see her. Uh, I mean, she's just this radiant, incredible being. I mean, that he left us, this uh, being is just, is just too much, really. I said to her, you know, and I told her this story. I said, Ma, so this is the story that would happen with Ramdas asking uh, Maharaji this question. What is, what's the reality? She said, it is true that they are one. They, and it's what you intellectually and I intellectually know that it is all perfectly done. There's, it's all decided. It's all within the one. Everything that happens in your life, every coincidence, everything, perfectly already designed, okay? You know what she said? But you could never understand the reality of that, so you take action. So you do practices. So you work on yourself to become a better human being. So you do with the knowledge that this grace is not understandable by a rational mind. So you do have to take these actions. So that when you say, yeah, no, it's all a done deal. There's, we just got to sit around and, and just allow it to happen. And many of us do say this to ourselves, and I used to say this to myself, I always knew, I had a feeling, I, I have to square my shit away. There is something for me to do. And I was with, I used to sit there with Maharaji, who did these miracles on you. It would blow your mind, right? And I'd go, gee, uh, can I get another one there? Because my mind isn't completely blown enough already. Is there another one there? You know, and so I did this. And, and it was always, well, shit, you could just snap your fingers and all the suffering would be gone. All the bullshit in my head would be gone. Everything would be gone. Why doesn't it happen? It's because there is a relationship with whatever you want to call this, guru, the divine, God, Buddhists call it pure mind, Buddha mind, whatever. There is a relationship that, re that is a responsibility for you to take action. Mm. This is sufficiently mind blowing. Um, does it make there, any sense? It, well, it does. It makes a lot of sense, and my pause does not insinuate that it does. That uh, it uh, doesn't make sense. I, um, 
Hmm. It occurs to me as I was listening that we, you were saying, well, why take action? And it seems to me that there's a, it's like, well, why be alive? Like there, there is an inherent understanding intuitively, consciously, perhaps intellectually by some that we live in an infinite and expanding universe. And it, it occurs to me that under that understanding, if that's an agreement that, that that is the universe that we live in, that we ourselves as a piece of that whole must be infinite and expanding. And that seems to happen regardless of what I say or do or act or have. And so the action, I would imagine, is part of the feeling of joy of serving. Mm. Good. I think. I yeah. mean, I once had someone sit at my kitchen table in Maine when I was, after I had really, you know, moved back into grandma's basement and really had a couple of come to Jesus's, 27, 28, 29. And my, my, one of my, dearest friends in the whole world, a musician from Ireland, uh, came over just to have dinner, just to sit, hang out for a weekend. It was amazing because he knew that, you know, he came with my other, we were all roommates together in New York years and years ago. And I remember he said, what if all action, because I was talking about the differences between action and results, like we live for results and we take action based on the results, not just based on the joy of taking action. Gita. What's that? The Gita, Bhagavad Gita. Yes. Yes, Duncan actually quoted it recently, too, in he one of the, the episodes Gita, yeah. we did. Loves that book. It's a book, yeah? I mean, yeah, it's the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. Well, it's part of the Bhagavatam, yeah. So the um, so he came up with this idea, because I was talking about action results, and, and so Mike, Mike Slot, had said, well, what if all action were merely asking the universe a question? And the universe responds with whatever it's going to respond to, and we get to ask different questions take different actions. And that to me, that is, that is life. That is this physical experience. Um, and we have this constant feedback. So that feedback suggests that there's a dichotomy and yet it's all one within the dichotomy. So that's, that's sort of, that's as far as I get to in terms of the infinite and expand, infinite and expanding. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, we're going to go on to another thing because I can I can just sense that the more we get into this infinite expansion of the universe, uh, we'll get lost because you can't fathom such a thing. Which is what really um, the message to me was: there is no way to fathom such a thing. So just get your ass in gear and do what you can to clean your shit up and so you're able to help your neighbor, which is really what you Which is said. kind of what we both said. Yeah, that's interesting that's that your mama that your mama in the Himalayas said yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. In in one wow. way. All right. Uh here's uh this is something I found. Um seven ways spiritual people can bullshit themselves. Yes, the let's go, every, let's go. Okay. Uh all right. So we're gonna I'll start. Number one. I have to feel good and stay positive all the time, right? 
This belief is quite common among the positive thinking community. Now, there's nothing wrong with thinking positively, but using the power of thought to gloss over any surfacing negative emotions is one of the biggest blocks to our spiritual growth. Okay, So I have been a terrible—I don't know about you—I have been a terrible, terrible proponent of making fun of, quote-unquote, New Agers who are into positive, the power of positive thinking. Think positively, you'll make a fortune. Think positively, and you will just drive out all that negativity. Now, recently, though, I came across something that said, suggested that this kind that uh, someone like myself, who might have an ongoing, shall we say, cynical little bit of a view... Um, I make fun, for instance, of, of all the chant people out there, people who do kirtan, right, around, especially around Maui, by the way, uh, that are doing this New Agey tribal stuff because I'm used to the Indian stuff, which is, you know, kind of way more. So I have this little bit of an edge, and it was suggested to me that that edge is actually the other side of the coin of, of bullshitting positive thinking. Same coin, just the other side. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting. You see yourself as cynical. Maybe you are. Um, that edge is interesting because that to me is just the discerning and the questioning. I. It is interesting though because, you know, we all talk about like, oh, we're all one. But then you do. You see some circles in Maui, truly, and in all over the world, of course. But this, uh, this spiritual ego or the spiritual residue of ego is alive and well probably in all of us. Uh, I remember when we did our interview, you said uh, you talked about an interview being the exchange of egos. And when you're able to rub up on something like that, it's like this ego friction that is able to create, uh, you know, media or interviews or or content. It's great. I thought that was really that really struck me. Um, I, I I try not to be cynical. I don't know if this is a question or if I'm just able to speak. <laughs> <laughs> you can speak. Thank you, Agu. So. I just try not to, I try to, I try to acknowledge people, but they really, they do come in your path. But if they come in your path it, through reading about it or through in the, in your life, I believe reality happens from us, not to us. And so there's something that I'm offering that's causing this to come in, even if it's to get clearer on where I actually want to be in my life. So I try to love up on them for whatever it's worth. I generally, I mean, I find it hard sometimes to be discerning because the wide-eyed sort of, you know, love vibe um, sometimes is a, a little tricky to distinguish because I don't necessarily want to be around the, I'm going to call it hippie, but I don't want to insult Gooey's. your generation. Gooey. I call them uh, gooey. I, I find myself really um, have a problem with gooey. I like that. Gooey. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the gooeys. Well, and yeah. this, this is number two, by the way. I behave spiritually, therefore I yeah. am growing through. I'm going to be going. I'm going to be in a bucket on the way to hell for this little thing that we're doing right now. By the way, because um, just showing my my true dark side. Uh, many spiritual people believe that spiritual behavior is all is required to be on the spiritual path. That is, if you say loving words, follow spiritual princes and principles, and act like. Jesus, you're pretty much enlightened. But I still think, though, Ragu, I still think that the opposite of that in terms of saying, you know, swearing, I have to cut down on my own swearing because I don't want to try to be the opposite of what I don't want to be in order to somehow 
appear to be higher than or more evolved than somebody else, you know? Mm. Like, I want to just be whoever I am in the present moment without trying to be. Because I remember I used to, like, swear a lot when I lived in New York, a lot. And, uh, And I liked being this sort of crass, edgy, spiritual guy. Yeah, that was like, yeah. but I, I, but I don't really desire for that anymore because I realized yeah. that was trying to be something. Yeah, that I mean, that you I really just, wasn't. yep, you've just, uh, you've just given me, you've just put me in a little bracket. Yeah, the edgy spiritual guy. Yeah, laughing and at the same at time, I don't want to be thinking the, the hoity-toity. You know, everything oh, is gotta... lovely. Yes, the gooey. We can't be because everything's not always lovely, and that's okay. <laughs> yes, exactly. I use number three. I use self-conviction. To make me feel like I'm on the right path. In other words, you go around and you try and engender other people to follow your particular little uh-huh, path. Uh-huh. And boy, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you about, um, I'll give you a, a, a present example. I mean, I'm getting a little bit too honest here. Um, All right. Take a so, deep breath. Yeah, really. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I told you this, but when I was in India last fall, I met this uh, incredible young uh, Baba, jungle Baba, right? I, I don't know what that is. Okay. Well, you, a Baba, a yogi, yogi. Okay. I met a yogi from Muskogee. I met a yogi who uh, has lived in the jungle since he was 12. And uh, I'm talking meditating in caves for six months at a time and very little food and or in all kinds of uh, ritualistic manners of of things that uh, you'd have to have tremendous spiritual accomplish to to be able to even like being in a river for twelve hours in, in in a freezing river meditating under the water you know stuff like that stuff you hear about in the storybooks wow. so I met him and he's incredible incredible I did a podcast uh, with a friend of mine who I uh, took he and his wife. We went there, and it was really in the middle of India in a jungle, no power, no bathrooms. No, it was like going back to the you know 8th century. It was just, uh, it was something else. Anyhow, what I'm trying to just relate with here about how one likes to have everybody get on your little wavelength. Um, so I did a podcast, talk about, and he, he met maybe several Westerners. Several, that's it, okay? Uh, he is not known. You cannot find him. He's turning up on Facebook now because of me, because I opened my big mouth and uh, people found out about it and they started, can I go see him? And so they've been going to India. I'm getting calls left and right. And I'm, so I'm starting to think to myself, what in the f- hell was I doing? Uh, I, I mean, and, and he's, yeah, sure, they can come. He's like no problem because he's you know he's a pretty free being, and uh, yeah. pretty out there, and and then I started to uh, second guess myself about just this this particular thing. What do I need um, people to come on my little boat that I had? So I had that going, and then the other thing I had going is I can't stop myself from sharing shit that I like. Mm. So it's like we all have a lot of different motivations for everything that we do, and I think that this is a this is a really good thing to express. And a lot of the times we we focus on the the worst parts of ourselves and identify ourselves that way. If we would just take a little bit step back of a step back and go, oh wait, there's way more than this one motivation for me here, 
And why don't I identify myself with that pure part of myself that really just wants to share something? So, you know, I think that we're seeing it a lot in politics, too, in that you see these groups and these almost mobs of people supporting these different people. And it really has become I actually am a bit of an anti. Well, I'll, I'll share it. So I don't actually think what's going to bring the world together is is groups of people like this politics or not i think that if you are able to reflect back to individuals what it is that they're asking about or asking for i think that because the transformation for example i have become a lot more conscious of the environment since living in maui you couldn't have taught me that in New York City, even though I'm, I consider myself like a conscious individual. But he, being here, I don't want to waste stuff. I want to go and get a, uh, the hell do you call it? The toilet there, that uh, the composting toilet. I want to get a composting toilet. I want to put domes on my property. I don't want to build structures. And, and that is through being here and through experiencing it. So I think, and I at the same time on the opposite side, I've studied the greats of influence and communication like Oprah and Tony Robbins and these people who have such, you know, they, they have the idol worship thing going on, but they've done it, for better or worse, by turning the mirror off themselves onto others, I believe, and allowing them to grab wherever they are. It's, it's meeting people where they are and allowing them, because I went through this, because it's like, oh, what does fame mean? I named my first book, Slightly Famous. Fame is the ability to attract a collective amount of attention for a certain amount of time. And, you know, now we see it in social media, et cetera. But what is behind that? What is the desire behind that? My desires weren't pure. They weren't. They were just, I just wanted it all for me. I didn't want to inspire people. And even if I did want to inspire people, it's just so that I could feel good. Mm. You know, mm. now it's how can I encourage at an individual level people to really open up for themselves, to really step into what others before me have so graciously allowed me to step into by turning the mirror around. So, um, yeah, this idea of follow me, come follow me, it's its everything right now. It's in our culture. Yeah. Uh, Number five? You're counting, you no- for Christ's sake. You're count- I use spiritual perspectives to bypass human emotions. This one is key. Who, by the way, we have to tell who wrote this damn thing. Who wrote this? I Alina use- Saint-Onge. Thank you, Alina. Yeah. So what is number, what is it now? Number, uh... Uh, it is, I use spiritual perspectives to bypass human emotions. You know what this is? Uh, it's called spiritual bypass. And I think we talked great. about it on your on your podcast last time a little bit. That's great. Yeah. That's a and good one. That's yeah. so important to be mindful of. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, this is so pandemic amongst, amongst people on the spiritual path to use their spirituality, to use the path, to use even their meditative practice to push away the negative emotions, thoughts, and so on and so forth, and just not deal with stuff, which is why... And and maybe negative emotions that you yourself have brought up in others. Like, I know that that was something... I mean, literally, one through five so far has literally been a review of my 20s. Keep going, right? This is making me very uncomfortable. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> no, because we, you use you, you. Go ahead. We missed four. Okay, you didn't count oh, good. Four is sorry. I preach when I feel I'm on top of my my game, but I blame when I'm triggered, right? Which is the same kind of a thing. Which is, I am not going to deal with my negative stuff because mm-hmm. I'm a spiritual person. 
I'm going to talk my game, but I ain't going to, uh, I, you know, I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to react when anybody uh, triggers me. When I get triggered, I'm going to react. But I'm going to preach about how I don't react when I get triggered. You know, just just bullshit. More bullshit. Number, um, we're going to what? Number six. six. I can talk and read about spiritual growth all day, yet avoid using my own life as my teacher. Mm. And, you know, this uh, Ramdas had a famous book, we quote Ramdas a lot because of my whole relationship with him, uh, being that we have this Love Serve Remember Foundation, and uh, dedicated to Neem Karoli Baba and Ramdas's teachings and all of our friends from those decades. You can go to ramdas.org, everybody, and check that out. Um, grist for the mill. That everything that happens, every moment, is a perfect opportunity for transformation. Mm. So that is probably the biggest key. So talking and reading about spiritual growth is great. It's a wonderful. It's better pastime than as uh, your your new friend your new friend Duncan would say, you know, than watching uh, Battlestar Galactica. I love Battlestar Galactica. I don't <laughs> <know what> <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, really taking everything as perfectly designed to get you free and uh again it's all about not denying and avoiding mm. the dark stuff the shadows mm. and and mm. who talked a lot about that was young so that's that's something else and last but not least i have found my truth and my path so i'm going to anchor in that forever and shut down any new perspective not allow anything else into my life that may come along mm-hmm. because I am going to protect my little path. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's a very common thing. We all do that. And by the way, any number, any one of these seven things, or all of them collectively, we all have that inside ourselves. And again, I say the multiplicity of motivations for anything go on all the time. All of this is, we are all of this, and we are also the opposite of it. We, And then we just need to reset our identity with that part of ourselves that is going to have a, a much, much bigger perspective so that we can just allow the negative stuff, the shadows to come up and they get played through and we're not going to be as hooked as we used to. I mean, how old are you now? 30. I just started. Dirty 30. Wow. Incredible. Amazing. So, so if you were to say to me, well, what the hell, after all these decades of doing this shit, what have you gotten? Where have you gotten to? And I say this all the time. One of the most powerful things is my identification on a day-to-day basis is less with that ego, mind, fear, separation, Mm. and more with the unity and connectiveness to whatever you want to call it, soul, spiritual, heart, pure mind, Buddha mind, whatever. I I, I don't like to uh, separate all of those things, even though some of them are non-deific, deity, 
and deified, some deified, deified, and some of them, you know, whatever. I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't have any. To me, it's there's one thing going on, and we call it by different names. So that whatever that one thing is, so I am not reacting. My reactive time go has gone down by you know five hundred percent to anything that crops up. I still react. I still I, anger is a big problem for me, and I still is but, it still even now? Yeah, even now anger but less. is there. But it's but it's the reaction, so I can catch it. It gets caught. I I am witnessing it from a place mm. where I am not as caught as I used to be. So gradually and inevitably, which is Krishnas's favorite term, inevitably, we do. If we work, and that's the take action part, just the day-to-day working on ourselves through meditation, mindfulness, chanting, yoga, reading wisdom books, hanging out with uh, teachers that that aren't um, that are somewhat evolved themselves, and mm. hopefully uh, you might meet somebody one day that's really evolved, and hanging out with them. Whatever it is, we take those actions so that we identify with that place inside us that becomes less fearful, less separate, less hateful, less greedy. And that's the real purpose for us, is to get to that place, because only then can we be of any use to anybody. So there you go, the seven ways in which we all bullshit ourselves, but we are not just that. I love that. Isn't that nice? That's great. That's profound. Someone will hear that, hopefully many people, and they will be able to identify. And, you know, it's that awareness, right? Once you wake up, it's very hard to go back yeah. to sleep. Yeah, exactly. I can imagine me being very resistant to even receiving that, though, when I was in the middle of all of a lot of those things. And I still am. I don't want to say, like, I've moved beyond. Yeah. But I, but it, much like you, I still have issues, but they, they have the reaction time. I give myself permission that my first reaction is not my final reaction and to realize that I'm reacting a lot of times. Yeah, but when you're in the middle of all of, of really heavy stuff, suffering, there is a point at which you do go, okay, I can get lost. I can continue to get lost. I can continue to, you know, take drugs or whatever, alcohol, sex, whatever it might be to... to to uh, as you said to assuage the demon and you can continue to do that but there will be a point where it gets over we would hope where and when this is part of the grace karma little conundrum but mm. there will be a point in which you have a realization that there is a potential to be happy to be free to be Reidentified in a place in yourself that is not going to get lost the way that you well that they get lost based on whatever comes in or whatever goes out. I think that that's such an important message and and one that I hope people get in the time that's needed for them is that it is possible to enjoy this life and to be happy and to be fulfilled and not to have that dependent on the stuff or the people or the ideas or the belief it is possible to just if in the present moment it is so possible i didn't think it was possible sometimes i still question whether or not it's possible you know when i feel feelings of loneliness around here like i live in a beautiful home 
with, you know, people coming through all the time. And yet, you know, it took me months to actually say to my very dear friend in Australia, which I just did last week, I said, you know what, I'm very lonely. And that was a really hard thing for me because why should I be lonely? I'm living in fucking paradise. But I am. It's very, it's kind of like I really went out on a leap, a limb. Everything was confirmed, but I still have those feelings and I'm embarrassed by those feelings, Raghu Marcus. Mm. I'm mm. embarrassed by the feelings yeah. of loneliness because who wants to f feel like that they're lonely? Loneliness and being alone, by the way, two different things, yeah. I think. Yeah, totally. Do you know what Jimi Hendrix said? As a matter of fact, I don't. Loneliness is such a dread. <laughs> all right well we're gonna end on that on jimmy who i love and uh thanks for being on this show jake sasseville so good thanks for pronouncing my last name right Raghu marcus oh that was a stab in the dark okay I was, was it uh, yeah no i'm so uh gratified that i got that right uh please check out uh, jake give us the url for the show again would you jake radio jake radio.org yeah, that's hard okay jakeradio.org check him out and uh jake i want to do this more just hang out this is fun i look forward to well listen you're landing i got your flight schedule i know when you're landing on this island yes yes we're all gonna oh by the way everybody yes please join us on uh maui with ramdas lama suryadas who is extraordinary western lama who was with us in india in the day with ramdas and and i and others with maharaji and uh, Trevor Hall, the incredible Trevor Hall is going to be a musician, right? Yeah, yeah, singer songwriter. Yeah. And yeah. Benji Wertheimer, one of the great Indian musicians, is going to be there along with my, you're going to meet my beautiful wife, Jake. Oh, yeah, Saraswati what's your name? Saraswati Marcus. Saraswati, the goddess Saraswati. of music and wisdom, is going oh, to hey, be Saraswati. there. Hey, Saraswati, how yeah. you doing? Yeah, and she's going to be teaching the yoga there, and Benji's going to be doing the music, and, uh, and then. Our special guest star, your new friend, Duncan Trussell. Yeah, Duncan's going to be, be there, and we're going to do some podcasting and stuff, and Jake's going to join us, too. We'll, 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 uh, I'll we'll, be Snapchatting from the event. I'll be the creep in the back Snapchatting. Yeah, right. On there the, you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jake. Thanks Love very you. much, Ragu. Love you. Love you. Bye-bye. Everybody, come back. Mind rolling next week.